Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. If you'll open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, that's where we'll begin in our message tonight. Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 1 says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. I want to preach on this topic tonight, holding on to let go. Holding on to let go. Let's put down our Bibles and lift up our voices right now. Lord Jesus, we worship you, God. We pray that the word would not fall on deaf ears tonight. We pray for fresh anointing over me, God, that your presence would just be manifest in this place. We thank you for what you've done, God, that new names are written in the book of life. We thank you for it, God. We thank you for what you're going to do because, God, you're not done yet. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as a kid... When the winter season was here, and we actually got a a decent amount of snow, I would always go sledding. Anybody like sledding in here? Yeah, sledding's always super fun. And I still love to sled. It's so much fun, but really it's only the going down part that's fun. Nobody says, oh boy, I can't wait to go sledding to carry my sled up a hill, trek through the snow, and then just stand there. That's no one's favorite part. Favorite part's always going down. I remember the first time like, I actually went to like, a legit sledding place. I went over to Paoli Peaks, and y'all, that changed my life. That was amazing. I mean, right, so you go down the slopes. That's the fun part. You're going down. There's twists and turns, and then there's jumps, and there's obstacles, whatever. And then you get to the bottom, and then you just look back, and you remember all the times. You're like, man, I just went down all that. Now i got to carry this heavy sled all the way back up there. And you're like, I think I'll just go home. But I remember I looked over, and it looked like heaven. Because I saw they have conveyor belts from the bottom that you literally just put your sled on, and you just ride that conveyor belt all the way to the top. They need to put that on every hill ever. If there's a hill, put a conveyor belt on it, just so I can sled in the winter. Anyway, so... Just to say I love sledding. Anyway, one time I was sledding on a hill, and it wasn't so nice. Let's just say there wasn't a conveyor on it, like a regular hill, you know. So after a while of sledding, 
my buddy and I had decided that we were going to go down on the same sled together at the same time. Because we had like this super long sled, and we were like, shoot, like one person can fit, why not make two? And we'll just go down together. It'll be fun. So, but we decided not to go down the same path that we had been. We said, hey, that's been safe, that's been fun, let's not do that, let's go down the path with all these trees, because that's a great idea. So we get in position, we sit down, my buddy's in front of me, and I'm in the back, and then, boom, we go, we're off. Down the hill we go, and so here comes the first tree, boom, we shift our weight to miss the first tree. Second tree comes, boom, shift our weight again to miss the second tree. And then at that time, like my eyes started filling up with hope, I'm like, hey, we're actually going to make this, like I'm going to live, I'm pretty happy about that. It's actually going to work out. But then there comes tree number three. And tree number three came a lot faster than tree number one and tree number two did. And it was a lot bigger than the first two were. And my buddy decided that he was going to abort mission. He decided he was gone. Like I look back and there he was. It was just me. And at that time, I had realized something very drastic that... uh. This thing was going to beat me. Like, I was going to try to conquer this tree. Like, I, it was just me and the tree. Y'all, this is like 10 seconds. I've got like a whole story about it. So, what did I do when I saw this big tree coming at me at a fast rate of speed? I could have jumped off like my friend. I could have tried to steer around it like I just did the first two. But what I did was something really smart. I just held on. And I just hit the tree. I held on when I really should have just let go. Because me and that tree, we had a very quick and a very hard moment with one another. I hit that tree at what felt like Mach 5. I felt like I was flying, and I stopped so fast. I actually thought I saw the pearly gates at one point. I was like, wow, so this is heaven. That tree and I had a very intimate moment together with each other, that, you know what, it wouldn't bother me if it never happened again. I just didn't want to meet that tree again. And it's all because I held on when I should have let go of the sled. You see, I thought through all my experiences I've had with sledding, all the times that holding on would just get me through it, all the times that just shifting my weight would get me through it, all that experiences, all those other times I've gone sledding, and I've missed stuff like that, I thought that that was going to overcome and I would just be able to go right around it. Do you guys remember like the first time you went sledding on something like that? What was the first thing you were told when you went down? For me, it was, now son, remember to hold on. Or else that sled's just going to leave you. And you're going to be in the middle of the hill, and that sled's going to be way past the hill. Don't let go. Just hold on until you get to the bottom. Hang on. Hold on to the ropes. Hold on to the sides. Hold on to this. Hold on to that. So it's a whole lifetime of doing what I was told. That caused me to hit this tree at what felt like 50 miles an hour. In a, sing a whole lifetime of doing what I was told to do right, in a single moment that breaking that idea would have saved me from pain and hurt. But I just wanted to let you know that there's moments to hold on, there's moments to let go. At the end of Matthew chapter 2, we have now been given the birth story of Jesus, and we see that his family is now on their way to Nazareth. And chapter 3 opens up 
with this. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, we know that John and Jesus were really close in age. So we know that chapter 3 doesn't happen right after chapter 2. Because it would be kind of weird if just this newborn baby is just walking out of the wilderness preaching the gospel. It's a little strange. They didn't start their respected ministries until later on in life. However, chapter 3 opens up with John coming out of the wilderness. So when it says, in those days, it was talking about at that time when John came out of the wilderness. I love what John Gill, he has a very interesting take on verse 1. The Jews have an observation of many things coming from the wilderness. The law, they say, came from the wilderness. The tabernacle, from the wilderness. The Sanhedrin, from the wilderness. The priesthood is from the wilderness. The office of the Levites is from the wilderness. The kingdom is from the wilderness. And all the good gifts which God had given to Israel were all from the wilderness. So now we see John coming from the wilderness. John comes into civilization like a storm from the wilderness, bringing a message that no one before had ever dared to even get close to. John didn't walk out of the wilderness with prosperity preaching. He didn't walk out of the wilderness with some warm and fuzzy message that you could just walk out. That felt good. He didn't walk out with that kind of message. He didn't come back to preach a message that made everyone feel nice, that made everyone feel like they were okay. No, he didn't face the wilderness and return to a society with a message of false hope. No, he came out of the wilderness with not just a message, but he came out of the wilderness with the message. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Israel knows a lot about wilderness. A lot of good is coming out of the wilderness. And how about we see that the message is coming out of the wilderness? John didn't have an object lesson. He didn't come out of the wilderness with a gift. He came out with the wilderness with the gift of repentance for the children of Israel. And at the same brush of the pen in Matthew chapter 3, we see an amazing scene unfold. We see Jesus stepping onto the scene as John is preaching the gospel. I love what one author writes, and you just have to bear with me. And I quote, The door from the other realm opened like a window just over the Jordan River. Out from the very center of the being of God the Father came forth His own sacred Spirit, the Holy Spirit, somewhat as a dove might, fluttering out throughout the open door and coming to rest on one of the spectators who was listening to John speak. John's eyes scanning the crowd, his fierce gaze catching every face. What was that? A light of unnatural origin, appearing out of nowhere like a dove flying out of a window and coming to rest on someone out there in the crowd. John realized he was seeing what no other eye could see. 
This was a sign of the Messiah. John fell silent. His only thought was, where landed the lighted dove? Who is out there? Murmuring and whispers swept across the crowd. Many followed John's searching gaze. Then spontaneously, John roared, Behold the Lamb of God! Can you envision this moment to the ones in the crowd who had heard the scriptures growing up? To the ones who grew up hearing about one day Messiah's coming. One day our king from heaven is coming to earth. And then you hear a man out of the wilderness preaching something that no one else has ever preached before. And as you're just sitting there listening, you just hear, behold, there is the Lamb of God. Those children in the crowd would grow up thinking that they would never see the day. Probably some even walked away from faith because they would never believe that they would see the Messiah on earth. But like I said, they get drawn in by some kind of wild man. And as they stand in the crowd, they hear the words that they thought they would never hear in their life. John 1 and 29 John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of this world. The Messiah is now here on earth. At that moment we see John take a step back. You see, he preached the message that God called him to. He was doing what the Lord, his maker, had called him to do. He was preaching just exactly what he was destined to do. When he sat near the Jordan River, he was doing exactly what God ordained him to do. When God was creating Adam in Genesis, he looked forward in time, and he was weaving John the Baptist for a time whenever he would come to earth, and he would walk the sandy road to where he would meet a crowd and he would see John the Baptist preaching us preaching and preaching about repentance now it was the time for Jesus to show the world that he is the message that John had been preaching before. Matthew 4 and 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, Jesus was just continuing that, that the message that John was preaching just before. One commentator accounts in verse 17 in Matthew as the beginning of Jesus' ministry. One of the first messages that Jesus would ever preach was a message of repentance. We also see the beginning of his ministry in Luke as well. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is seen driving an unclean demon out of a man. And verse 41 of chapter 4 tells us that Jesus then performed many miracles in that place. Let's go to verse 42. Of chapter 4. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place. And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. 
And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. God's saying, there's a crowd here. I wonder if the man inside of him thought, this is nice. They want me here. It feels good here. There's a moving here. Maybe I should just stay here because if there's a moving here, this is probably where I should be. But the God in him said, I've got more to do. I've got more to preach. This is not my final destination. You see, sometimes in our walks with life, we hit a nerve in God. We hit a moving, we bank up to the river and it's flowing and there's an anointing and there's heaven moving and there's miracles and there's signs and wonders and we get connected with it and we think that's where we're supposed to be. This is the end. If we could just stay right here, that's okay. But God is telling us there's more. There is more of that. You can move forward and there's still going to be great things on the way. Don't just stay where you feel comfortable because there is more to do. Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. And I've said all of that about John. said all about it about Jesus. All to set up what I believe God wants this church to hear tonight. Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down And taught the people out of the ship. So many people around Jesus. There's a crowd around him. They follow him wherever he's going. So much so that he's decided that land isn't suitable for him because he's just too crowded. So he's going to get on a boat. Get some distance from the crowd. So we see the Messiah. Crowded by people. Uses the crowd to drive him to the boat. Of a man named Simon Peter. But we know that this would be the plan all along. This was ordained by God because Jesus was going to use the crowd to make him get in the boat so that he could perform the miraculous. Luke chapter 5 and verse number 4. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answered, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. So when Jesus walks on the scene, he's got his fishermen sitting there and they're washing their nets. They've been fishing all night, working all night to provide, not just for themselves, to provide for their families, for their cities, for their towns. They've been working hard. Worked all night. And then Jesus steps on the scene. And he tells them to go out to the deep and put their nets down. I want you all to remember that. I can understand what seems to be the frustration of Peter. He said, what are you doing? You come out of nowhere. This carpenter who's never been a fisher... Tells me how to do my job. 
Who are you to think that I don't know what I'm doing? I've been working all night. I've worked hard. I've sweat. I've bled. I've cried because I'm going back to my wife empty-handed. I'm going back to a family empty-handed. And you come up and just tell me to try something ridiculous? You see, Peter was raised in a fishing household. In that time, his father was most likely a fisherman. So as a child, Peter was raised to do the things of a fisherman. But out of every single thing that a fisherman has, today, it's the best bass boat. It's the best rod and reel. It's the sonar. It's the best tackle. But the most important thing to the fishermen of that time it was their net. It's the only way they would receive their fish. They would rely on the net to hold the fish. The net was the very thing that would provide for their family. It was the very thing that their loved ones could have sustenance from. They would rely on the net. They would rely on the rope that made the net to be strong enough to hold the fish. They would rely on each other to be able to hold the net strong enough that if there were some fish that they wouldn't let them go. They would rely on the net that it wouldn't break. They would rely that it wouldn't rot. They would rely that it would hold its own under the pressure. They relied on the net. They relied on the strength to hold the net. And as a child, I can see Peter in his household and his father just saying, I can see him walking up to his child and saying, now Simon, it's about time you start learning the craft, boy. It's about time you get in the boat and you learn how to handle the net. It's about time you start learning on how to hold on to things. Rhett, can I borrow you real quick? Rhett's going to be little Peter. Hang on to that other end there. As a child, he'd hold on with everything he had, but it wasn't just strong enough, and his strength wouldn't be enough, and he would just let go. His strength wasn't right yet. He would try again, and he would just pull with everything he has, pull hard, pull hard, but his strength wasn't enough. Thank you. Zach, can I borrow you? As a teenager, Peter would grow up, and his strength would be a little bit greater. He would be able to hold on just a little bit longer, but it wasn't enough at the end. And he would lose his strength. Just like that. One more time. Give it up for our volunteers. Aren't they great? He would hold on just a little bit longer, but at the end, he just still wasn't strong enough. And then his grip would just weaken, and he would lose it. Thank you. Now, Pastor Dylan, he's our full-grown Peter. Look at this. At this point, he's a man who is on his own, and he's got the strength to hold on. He's got the strength under pressure. He's got the tenacity. He's got the ability. He's got the athleticism to hold on when all these fish, thank you, come in. So this is the point that Jesus shows up. He showed up at the perfect time for Simon Peter. When he grew up into a man, he found a new understanding to what it meant of the net. He had a new understanding of what it meant to hold on. He had a new understanding of strength and tenacity. 
because he relied on it to provide. As long as he was holding on, there was going to be abundance. As long as he held on, his family would survive. As long as he would hold on, he had enough food to eat. As long as he would hold on, his wife had something to eat. As long as he would hold on, his family could eat. His city could eat. As long as he would hold on, his family would prosper. Because if he were to let go at the wrong moment, it would cost him and his family everything. His father would instill into him the importance of hanging on from an early age. Simon Peter, when it gets rough, you just hang on. When the fish are strong and they seem as though they are stronger than you, you just got to hold on. If you'll just hold on, you'll be a great man. If you'll just hold on, you'll be able to provide. You'll be a provider. You'll be a great husband. You'll be a great father. As long as you can just hold on, you're going to be something great. So Peter, now a full-grown man, has a man sitting in his boat preaching. Jesus looks over, and he notices that he hadn't caught anything. Didn't say Peter was a good fisherman. He was just a fisherman. So Jesus tells Peter to go out into the deep and let down their nets. Now Peter knew this body of water. He had probably fished this body of water his entire life. So much so, he would know the behavior of the fish. He would know the behavior of the water. He, went no, he knew when to go and when not to go. He knew where to go and where not to go. Just like it was second nature for him to secure his grip to the net, he knew how the fish would act. He knew where they would be. And you see, one source tells us that the type of fish that they would be fishing for doesn't stay in the deep. That's not where that type of fish would be. They actually like to stay in the shallow water by the shore. But they had tried that all night, and they ended up with nothing. They tried what they knew to do. It had proven time and time again to work. So they just kept trying it. But this time, this time it didn't work. This time, they didn't catch anything. They had tried all night and ended up with nothing. So Jesus tells them to do exactly the opposite of the nature that they had learned. Dr. Tony Evans writes in his commentary, To land a major catch on the Sea of Galilee, you had to fish at night near land, not during the day in deep water. Jesus didn't come at nighttime and tell them to fish where they knew to fish because then it would be under their own knowledge. Jesus shows up in the middle of the day and tells them to go where he knew there were no fish. So that brings some understanding to why Peter was a little frustrated he told them to do something that they weren't comfortable with, that went against their second nature, that went against their education, that went against their feelings, that went against what their friends thought, that went against what their family thought. But Peter says in verse number five, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down my net, even though it went against every fiber in Peter's body even though it went against everything that he had learned from the moment he was a small child, 
He followed the words of Jesus and look at what happened in verse number six. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their nets began to break and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they would come and help them. And they came and they filled both of the ships so much that the other ship began to sink. Now, these weren't flimsy nets. These weren't fragile boats. But the God that created this world, the God of Genesis, the God of creation, the God of the sea, the God of the fish, the God of the waves, the God of the air, the God of the fish. Jesus knew and had put those fish exactly where they needed to be at that time so that he could demonstrate to Peter that even though you may not understand what I am doing, I will show you my goodness. I will show you my understanding. I will show you my power. I will show you that as long as you obey my word, you will have plenty. So much so that their professional grade fishing equipment began to fail. So much that they called to their buddies that were fishing over there to come over and to help carry the load. And when they came over to help, that they began to sink too. Because there was just too much in the deep water in the middle of the day. It didn't make any sense. But God provided when he needed to provide. Because he knew that there was someone there that needed to witness what was happening that day. Sometimes God will tell you something that contradicts everything in your natural thinking. Sometimes it's being behind on a payment. Sometimes it's losing your job and God tells you to up your tithing and your offering. That doesn't make any sense. How in the world does that make sense? But all I have to say is if the church were ever to decide to hold on to the nets like that of Peter and understand if I am willing just to obey the word of God that I have been raised in it, I have the strength so that when I obey the word of God, I am ready, I am strong enough, I have the tenacity, I have the athleticism, I have the understanding, I have the prayer life, I have the faith to know know that my God will see me through just if I will obey the word of God. Somebody say obey the word. If you will just obey the word of God, has he made a way in your life before by just obeying the word? Has he provided for you even when it didn't make any sense? Come on, if he's provided for you, you ought to lift up your hands and thank him right now. If he's made a way when there seemed to be no way, come on, there have been times where I've been behind. There have been times where I didn't know that bill would be paid. And then just under a feeling of the Holy Ghost, I checked my mailbox and there was a check in the mail for double that than what was due. I am here to tell you that the same God that commands the fish, the same God commands our money, the same God that can stop time is the same God that can fix a broken marriage. You see, we need a new revelation of the God that we serve.
We need a new understanding of God. You see, you don't just put your hands into the mud and create life. You don't just speak and light and the earth come into existence. You don't walk into a grave of a dead friend and walk out together. You don't just walk up to a blind man and put mud in his eyes and he begins to see. You don't just walk up to a man, tell him to dip in a pool and he begins to be healed. You don't just speak and things come into existence. You don't just walk on water. You don't just walk and say and the seas be parted. You don't just walk into a grave and walk out three days later. You don't just march your way down to hell and stay there and then grab the keys of death, hell, and the grave and come back up victorious. You don't just do that. But we serve a God. We serve a God. Come on. We serve a God. I wish to God that this church would begin to realize that we serve the God of creation. Whose report will you believe? I shall believe the report of the Lord. Man says there is no fish here, but my God says if you will obey my word. If you will obey what I have to say, you will see things come that you will never believe possible. Man will say there's no fish. Man will say give up. The enemy will tell you to quit. But I serve a God who just says, if you've got the strength, I've got the ability. If we can meet up, we're going to get a lot of fish. There's going to be a lot of fish in that sea. If you've got the faith and you've got the obedience, just put your net on that other side and believe that there's going to be something great. Keep casting your nets. Hold on to the net, church. If you feel doubt, tighten your grip. Because we serve a God who is unlike any other. If you'll open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. And verse number 8 says, When Simon Peter saw it, speaking of all the fish, I don't know how much a fish was in that day. I would say that was a lot of money that Jesus just provided for Peter's family. For the families of his brothers. For those around him. When Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. At this moment, Simon Peter is taking a transition within the kingdom. Something's moving in Peter's life. Something's changing in the spirit. Something's breaking. I can feel it. Come on. Something's changing in the spirit. Something's breaking. I can feel it. Something's changing in the spirit. Something's breaking. I can feel it. If you've got the faith, if you've got the strength, if you've got the tenacity, just obey. Something's changing in the spirit. Something's breaking. I can feel it. It's something that's breaking. It's going to be the nets of those who are faithful. It's going to be the ones who obey the word of God. 
what we see here is that Peter never lost his grip. Never lost his grip on things. He just changed what he was gripping. For the longest time since he was a child, he gripped a net. But that moment with Jesus changed everything. Where he decided he was going to let go of the net, but grab a hold of the Messiah. He decided, that fishing life ain't for me anymore. Because there's something better than catching fish for me. There is more than the Sea of Galilee for me. There's more than having to deal with the net for me. Instead of a net, Peter is now hanging on to the Messiah. Aren't you glad that you have a made-up mind of who you're going to hang on to? That you're not going to hang on to things of this world. You're not going to hang on to that of the enemy. You're not going to hang on to false prophecy. You're not going to hang on to false doctrine. You're not going to hang on to false things of this world. Can we lift up our voices and thank him for his goodness right now? Now, as we go to Matthew chapter 14, Peter has been following Jesus for quite some time now. So he's been getting to know Jesus. He's been his disciple for quite some time. The chapter opens up with the death of the wild man. We see the death of John the Baptist, the voice of the wilderness that brought the message, that exchanged it for the message, has now died. In verses 13 through 21, we see Jesus feeding thousands. But I want to look at what happens next in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had uh, sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them. Walking on the sea. They were troubled saying, it's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. So now Jesus fed the thousands. So he tells his disciples, you guys go ahead and get in the boat and make your way. And I'll meet you on the other side. No way would that make sense that them sailing from one point of the body of water to the other, that they would meet at the same time as Jesus walking around the body of water. He said, y'all go out without me, and I'll hit you up on the other side. So they rode. And as they rode, Jesus came walking. They had put hours into it. It's now the fourth watch of the night. They've been rowing. They rowed, but Jesus came walking. Let me say it again. They rowed, 
But Jesus came walking. What is hard for you is not hard for God. What is hard for you to conquer is not hard for our God to walk on. You see, what we are treading in, what we are drowning in, what we are underneath in, what we are consumed by, our God has the ability to walk on. They were pressing hard. Jesus just came walking. That was difficult for the disciples was the normal for Jesus. They put blood, sweat, and tears. Rode hard, fighting the storm, fighting the waves. We've got to be there because Jesus is waiting for us. But then here they comes, walking on the water. In verse 27, Jesus tells them not to be afraid because it was him. Now the disciples should have known it was him. The disciples had spent time with him. They should have known what he looked like. Should have known what he sounded like. But they didn't. They were fearful. However, they spent years and time under their guidance. However, when you're in the middle of the storm, it's kind of hard to dictate. It's hard to think of just how God will make himself shown unto you. It's only after the storm that you can look back and realize that was God. Sometimes when you're in the middle of the storm, somebody says something to you. And you don't know it at the time. But later on in life, you realize that was God speaking through them. Sometimes just a simple offering from someone that just seems so insignificant. You can look back and say, in the middle of my storm, there was Jesus. In the middle of me drowning. There was Jesus. In the middle of me being consumed, there was Jesus. God will show up in ways that you never thought imaginable. He will step onto the scene just when you need him. But it is up to you. And it is up to me to decide and to figure out who the figure is walking towards us. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord... If it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And what did Jesus say? He said, come. And I don't know if you're like me or if you're like my mom, but sometimes come isn't just enough. I got to have a detailed list. Okay, so do I got to take like three steps over here, then three steps over here? Is there like a Tetris thing to this water walking? I've never done it before. So is there like, do I got to clench my toes? Do I got to do something weird? Heel first or ball of my feet first? I don't know what I'm doing. You got to talk to me. But God didn't say that. He just simply said, come. Sometimes God doesn't give you enough information because he wants to see what your faith is built of. He wants to see what you're made of. He wants to see that strength. He wants to see that faith. He wants to see what you're gripping. He wants to see if you're still holding on to the net or if you're holding on to him. Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water, to Jesus. Sometimes when I go back to swimming, I think of, my God walks on water. What most people drown in, what they get consumed by, 
what they have to fight for their life from. My God simply walks on it. My God simply treads on it. It is underneath the feet of my God. And through the glory of Jesus Christ, I can walk on it. I can tread on it. I can overcome it. I can tread. It had to have been Peter who went to Jesus. It had to be Peter. It had to be him. Because this was the man who was raised on the water. This was the man whose livelihood was water. This was the one who knew just the damage that storms could bring. He was the one who had seen ships lost at sea. He had been the one who seen the damage of storms had done to families. He had probably lost friends. He had probably lost loved ones to the storm. He had seen some storms before as a man on the water. Peter had been into some situations before. That's why it has the impact that it does. So that's why Peter had to walk on water. Peter gets down out of the boat. He takes that leap of faith. But he trusted in Jesus. He had the grip to hold on to Jesus. And that's why he just starts walking on water. Walking to Jesus. Even when he puts his sights on the wind. And when he puts his sight on the waves. Even when he lost focus on God, even when he slipped, even though he began to sink, even though he messed up, even though you may have sinned, even though you may have fallen short, even though you feel like you've messed up, even though you've gone back to that past addiction, even though you've gone back to that toxic relationship, even though you have fallen short of the glory of God, as long as you are holding on to Jesus, there is a way out. Come on, you ought to be worshiping like you know that there's a way out. He still held on. Because of the one who could command the fish, he entered the nets. Because of the one who could command the fish to enter the nets, he is the same one who can pull you out of the water. He is the same one who healed the man of a demon. It is the same God that is walking on water in the middle of a storm. It is the same God who parted the seas for Moses. It's the same God who calmed the seam in Matthew chapter 14. The same God that put breath into a pile of mud can still breathe life into your messed up situation. The same God that walks water still walks over the situations that feel like are drowning you. The same God that rose up from the dead three days later can still raise up dead promises in your life. To those that have dead promises in your life, know that you serve a God. That if you just obey the word, they could be raised up. All you have to do is keep holding on to the net. Peter never let go of the net. He just changed which net he was holding. Instead of the natural net, he put his faith and trust into a supernatural net. Yes. As a fish 
would fall into the net in the natural. As Peter began to sink, he knew there was a supernatural net that he could fall into that would pull him up out of the water. I'm glad my God has the power and the strength and the authority to pull me out of the mess that I put myself in. My God has the power to look at me and say clean. To look at me and say you were a sinner, you fallen short, but I can pull you up out of the water. I can make you clean. I can wipe away every sin. I can wipe away every hurt. I can destroy every situation. Come on, where's your faith, church? What are you holding on to? What are you gripping on to? What is your net? Are you just putting your faith in things of this world? Or are you putting your faith in God? Yes. Skipping over to Matthew chapter 16. We see the Pharisees try to tempt and to manipulate Jesus. But later on in the writing of this chapter, we see that Jesus has a little meeting with his disciples. A little powwow with his, with his buddies. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do man say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. We've heard of the wild man. Some say you're Elias. And others, Jeremiah, or just one of the prophets. But then Jesus flipped the question. But who do you say that I am? What this was, was Jesus grabbing a hold of the supernatural net and seeing who had the strength. He was testing his disciples. Who has the strength? Who's got it? Of course, he knew. But he wanted them to see. He asked them the question, who do you think I am? And look what Simon Peter says in verse 16. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was saying, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly who you are. You are the God that controls the sea. You are the God that controls the fish. You are the God that controls the demons out of the man. You are the God that can bring healing. You are the God that brings restoration. You are the God that can feed thousands. You are the God that can make a way when there seems to be no way. You are the God that can raise the dead. You are the God that can heal the sick. You are the God that makes a way when everyone tells that there is no way. Why? I've seen it before. He says, you can command all of that. So you are Messiah. You are God. You see, church, there is power within the revelation of Jesus Christ. Matthew 16 and 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And look at what verse 18 says. And I say... Also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, 
Did Peter know when he was walking on water that he would be the rock that Jesus Christ would build his church upon? Did he know as a child when he was fishing with his father that there would one day be a time when Jesus would look at him to say, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Come on, somebody. This is major. Do you really know what this verse means? We're going to talk about it. Bishop writes in his commentary on this verse, and I quote, Peter is from the Greek word petros, which means piece of rock. The rock on which Jesus said his church would be built is from the word petra. Which means a mass of rock. Peter is merely a small rock that has now become part of the massive rock. What Jesus is saying, he is telling Peter that he is a part of something that is so much bigger than himself. You thought fish were enough. You thought that was enough. If you walked on water, that would have been enough. If you would have seen me feed the thousands, that would have been enough. But no, there is more in store for you. You've seen me do the miraculous, but I'm not done with you, Peter. I'm not done with you. He's calling our young people. He's not done with you yet. You elders in the church, my God's not done with you yet. You see, he's telling Peter that he's part of something that's bigger. But as Jesus is telling Peter in Genesis 49 and 24, God, he says, it's the stone of Israel. In Deuteronomy, he's the rock of salvation. In 2 Samuel, he is my rock. In Psalms, he is the rock of my strength. He's the rock of the one who is higher than I. He is my rock and my refuge. He is a rock of habitation. In Isaiah, he is the everlasting rock. And he is the stone that the builders rejected, who is now the chief cornerstone. And now, as all of that, he stands looking Peter dead in the eyes and says, upon this rock. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, they are not going to prevail against thee. Peter, because you have held on for so long, you are going to be an influential part of this church, of my church, of my kingdom, the holy God of Israel, the almighty, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the ending, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the one whose government is upon his shoulders, looks at a man and says, because you have held on, you are going to help me establish my church. On this earth, so that over 2,000 years later, a group of people can gather together in Medora, Indiana, and preach and teach and worship the same God. Peter, because you held on, because you left your job. I'm going to use you. 
Because you walked on water, I'm going to use you. Because you had faith to get out of the boat, I'm going to use you. Because you declared me as Messiah, I'm going to use you. But then there came a time that Peter wasn't expecting. Immediately after Jesus departs this knowledge on Peter. Immediately after he says, you're no longer Simon, you're Peter. And because you have such a relationship with my spirit, that you have the knowledge of who I am. You've seen me perform miracles. But there's going to be a time where you're going to have to let me go. He had to tell Peter, I've been with you for years. We've been through thick and thin together. You have been like a brother to me. But there's coming a time where I've got to face a cross. And you're going to have to let me go. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. But look at this. Then Peter took him, grabbed him. This is like a brother to Peter. And began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, that this shall not be unto thee. God, you're the Messiah. Don't do it. I like you too much. You helped me out too much. Don't do it. You ain't got to die. Don't do it. You have the power. Don't do it. What Peter is showing us is his upbringing of holding on. Jesus, i got to hold on. I've held a net for so long, and now I'm holding on to you, and you're telling me to let go? I understand Peter's thinking here. The moments that he spent with his dad rushing into his thinking, being taught to hold on with everything he has. That being able to risk your life for the catch. Never letting go or else you might die. Or else your family would perish. Peter is just simply holding on to Jesus. However, this is the moment that brings us to my title. This is when we are holding on just to let go. Letting go to Peter to him, to his thinking, meant to give up, meant to quit, to just say that you're beaten. Peter was trying to do the right thing in his own mind by telling Jesus, no, you, ain't, you don't have to do that. But that's not what God wanted. And he responded as such in verse 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. God, I'm just trying to hold on. I don't want you to die. 
If you leave me, my net is gone. My purpose is gone. What I've been raised with is gone. Everything I've understood is gone. Everything that I was built to do is gone. Everything you've worked with me for in these three years is gone. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. Because Jesus had to correct Peter because what he was saying was going against the very will of God. But then this shows us that there are times where if we do not let go, we are out of the will of God. Some of you are holding on to things that you should have let go a long time ago. You're holding on to past hurts. Maybe you're holding on to past addictions. Maybe you're holding on to past relationships. Maybe you're holding on to anger. Maybe you're holding on to jealousy. Maybe you're holding on to this or to that. But like the saying goes, it is time to let go and let God. There are times where we can hold on tight. There are times where we can brace ourselves for the storm. And we can just push through it with brute strength. But then there are times where if we want a real move of God, we've got to let go of the reins and let God take control of what he wants to do in our lives. Some of you want to still keep holding on to control of your life. You're holding on and you won't let go. Just like Peter did. And I understand that. But maybe it's your upbringing. Maybe it's those around you. Whatever it is, I've come to declare to this church that we are in a supernatural move. I feel it every service because God is calling us to let go and let him be God. God would not prove himself to the Egyptians if Moses had not let go of the staff that helped him walk. He wouldn't prove himself if David would never have let that stone loose. Gideon would not be the conqueror that he was had he not let go of his fearful thinking. And the people that Paul killed would not have entered the gates of heaven, had they not let go of the anger that they had towards their murderer. Paul couldn't have written the most of the New Testament had he not let go of his murderous ways. And he had not let go of the thorn of his flesh. Yes, he dealt with it. Yes, it was something he dealt with every day. But it was something that he can say, if I can just let go of the reins of my life, God, you've got this. You've got me in your hands. You stand with me. Music come. Everybody say, it's time to let go. What are you holding on to that God needs you to let go of? Even when Peter let Jesus go, he still denied him three times. He still messed up. This was Jesus' like right-hand man, and he still messed up. He still hid away. He still failed. But look what happens in Acts chapter 2. Because Peter was willing to let go of Jesus and let him be God. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, 
standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing as it is the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out on those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name if you're willing to let go if you're willing to let God come on let's come to these altars right now Peter went on to preach what he did only because he had the faith to let go that which he holds so dear once he let go of his own pride once he let go of his jealousy of his anger God used him unlike any other man before that's not the end of the message. Verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall it rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. But then after all of that, this is where all the prayer meetings with Jesus came to fruition. This is where all those times of holding on to Jesus. All the daily talks with him. All the times seeing him preach. Back in Matthew 4 and 17, where Jesus declared that the world also repent. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And let's say it together. Then Peter said unto him, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and also all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with the many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this upward generation. Then they gladly received his word and were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Come on, let's worship him right now. Say, God, let me learn to let go. God, let me learn to know when I need to let go. Come on, come on. He's trying to tell you to let go. You've been holding on, and that's a good thing. You've held on to the faith, but now God is trying to say, it's time for you to let me go and let me be God. Come on, come on. He's not done with you yet. It's not time yet. It's not time for you to quit. It's time we quit putting God in a box and let him loose and see what happens. 
after Jesus spoke to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, he then said, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He is talking about a legal right that has been given to the church. And it's time that we understand and then we act out this legal action. It is time that we bind our thinking of putting God in a box of putting him in a schedule, of binding him in certain things. Yes, that's good, that we need these rules, we need restrictions, but it's time that we let loose of God and let him work. Come on, it's time, lift your hands, lift your voices. It's time we let God loose in this place. Let him loose in your life. Let him loose in your family. Let him loose in your homes. Let him loose on the job site. Let him loose in your children's life. Let him loose, let him loose, let him loose. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.